you know, the book of Ephesians is all about our riches in Christ and what God will do with those riches in our life. That I thought about um, Hetty Green. If you know anything about her, she lived in the 1800s, and she was considered to be the richest woman in America. She inherited some money, and then she um, invested that money in Wall Street, and um, she was considered the like the richest woman in America for the wealth that she had acquired herself. In fact, they even call her the Witch of Wall Street. Um, but with all this wealth that this woman had, she lived like a miser to the point where she would eat the same cheese sandwich every day. Uh, she would not use the heater in the winter. She lived in New York. She wouldn't use the heater because it would cost too much money. Um, she would wear one dress, and she would have that dress laundered, and she'd tell them, only wash the dirty spots to save on soap. And her son um, had an injury to his leg, and she waited so long to get help for him because she's trying to get him into a free clinic that he had his leg amputated. This is the kind of miserly existence that this woman lived. And at her death, she owned and was worth $100 million. And she would eat the same cheese sandwich, no heater. And she denied care to her son for money. She lived like a miser, and she could have had an amazing existence. But ladies, I'm going to tell you something. We have inherited an amazing wealth in Christ. But sometimes we choose to live like misers. Let's not do that. Tonight I want to look at the, the riches that we have in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, we thank you for spelling out for us in the pages of scriptures everything you've given to us, everything you've done for us that we would know what is freely ours in Christ. Help us to take the knowledge of these riches, these truths, that they would be effective in our life, Lord, and that we would just allow you to live in us and through us. Lord, we just ask that you would open your word to us tonight, Lord, and speak to us. I pray every woman would walk away, Lord, with that scripture that will carry her through the week. Lord, speak personally. To each one of us, we give you our time now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, how many of you are kind of glad to move on from Galatians? Yeah, it was a treaty and I felt like that when we were studying it ourselves, like, oh, whew, okay, that's, that's done. Um, and moving on to Ephesians was like, oh, this is kind of nice. Very different subject matter. The book of, of Galatians, Paul was really dealing with false doctrine and false teachers and correcting errors. But now as we get into the book of Ephesians, Paul is really focusing more on maturity in Christ, allowing the believers to think about and ponder what they have in Christ uh, and to 
have a walk then, worthy of all that God has given to them. Avail yourself of who Christ is in your life. And um, at the end of the book, he begins to talk to them about the warfare. Because if you're going to live that Christian life, giving God glory, you're going to have opposition. And so he spells out the wealth, the provision God gives us in um, the first three chapters. And in the last three chapters, he spells out the walk that we're to have as believers and the warfare that we're involved in. And um, so this will be a very different book than that of Galatians. And so in chapter 1, we're going to look at the vast deposit of riches that our Heavenly Father has made for us in the bank of heaven. And I love that because, you know, on earth, you know, there's forever a bank going under, right? You know, the the bank that we first started banking with, they're no longer around. Who, Who knows what they turned into? It's got eaten up and swallowed up. Well, your things are secure, in the bank of heaven. And I want to look at this deposit in four movements. One, it was given to us by the Father in verse 1 through 6. It was centered in the Son in verse 7 through 12, ministered to by the Spirit in verse 13 through 14, and the topic of prayer in verse 15 through 23. So let's look in verse 1 through 3. It is given to us by the Father. Paul says here um, that he's an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So you'll notice that his letter is addressed to the saints, those who are set apart those who have put their faith in Christ, and the riches that he describes, they apply to God's people. They don't apply to the non-believer. You have got to be in Christ. He opens up his letter with grace and peace, which are two qualities that are needed in the Christian life. Paul blesses or praises God before he ever mentions any of these blessings. He is just so... Um, excited that he's, God, I just bless you for this. And then the sentence that follows is the longest sentence in the Bible. I think it's like 14 uh, verses or so. But we're going to try to get through it. (laughs) So um, he blesses God, and it is through Christ that we share these riches. As a child of God, we're born into wealth. You know, you knew people that grew up and they were just wealthy. They had wealth their whole life. And as Christians, we are born into that family wealth of God. Um, Ephesians 3.8, Paul says that um, he was given uh, the ministry to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ to the Gentiles. And that's what the riches of God are. They're unsearchable. We will skim maybe the surface in our lifetime. And what has God blessed us with? Every spiritual blessing. I love that word, every. God did not hold back anything. You know, sometimes when you give a gift, if you ever bought a gift and you go, oh, wow, well, maybe I'll just keep this. God didn't do that. 
In Romans 8.32, he said, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? God held nothing back. Everything was given. His intention to bless us and bless us abundantly, more than we could ask or think. And these riches and these blessings are kept on deposit in heaven. They're secure. They're not going to get broken into. They're not going to get stolen. They will not diminish. You can't use them up. First Peter 1.3, he describes them like this. He says that, uh, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. They are secure. They're reserved in heaven. And you know what, ladies? That's where our citizenship is, in heaven. It's our new realm of life since we've become Christians. We are no longer to be bound by the things of this earth. Um, and that, that's Satan's goal. He says, you can be a Christian, that's fine, but just keep your mind here on earth. And everything he does is to harass you, to keep you bound to this earth. Your riches are not here. And we're to draw on the riches of God, and so we battle. And we'll get to that in chapter 6. Philippians 3.20 says, Our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly await for the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 3.2-3 says, Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And these blessings that are hidden in Christ for us are secure. The nature of those blessings... They're spiritual. They're not material. You don't see them. You don't go shopping for them. These blessings are spiritual, but they are powerful. They are useful. They are needed. Because you and I are spiritual beings. We need spiritual uh, help. So in Christ is the position of the believer, and this is where we are going to find our help from God And this is why Paul could live on this earth with a heavenly state of mind. And listen to some of the words Paul has to say. He says that he is sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. He's poor, yet he makes all rich. He has nothing, yet he possesses all things. Troubled on every side, not distressed, perplexed, not in despair, cast down, not destroyed. How could he live like that? Because he has set his affections above where Christ sits at the right hand of God. That's how. The things on earth, he's not getting tangled up into them. The difficulties of life, um, as we go through them, we're able to draw upon the riches of Christ for strength, for perspective, for hope. We're able to live above our circumstances. I think about Paul's thorn in the flesh. He prayed, Lord, take this thing from me three times. God says, my grace is sufficient for you. And Paul had a very different perspective. He was able to live above that, 
okay, if this is how it will be, let your strength be upon me. Ephesians 4, verse 6 says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. So we're told here that we have been chosen by God. And I love this because... Growing up, I was never chosen to go on any team in any event at school. I was just not real athletic. And, you know, if ever I would get chosen for something, it's like, really? And whenever, you know, I got assigned to a team, nobody was too excited about it. So when I read this, that God chose me, I'm like, really? That is just amazing. I love it. And he chose us before the foundation of the world. He chose me before I was ever created. He's been thinking about me for a very long time. Don't you love that? God has been thinking on you, planning your future for a very long time. He chose us before the foundation of the world. And in John 15, 16, he says, you did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should remain. And we merely responded to him. God chose us uh, in him, not in ourselves. It's his grace alone. We're saved by grace, not of ourselves. He chose us by his sovereign will, without any injustice or violation of our own free will. In Romans 9, 10 through 16. He chose us according to his foreknowledge in 1 Peter 1-2. Because God knows everything from the end to the beginning. So all that knowledge, all God's wisdom went into this choice for his people. And we know of God that he's not willing that any should perish. Whosoever believes on him will be saved. And so there is no fault to God for those who will not come to faith in him. Those who are in Christ were sinners who put their faith in the redeeming blood of Christ, and they have become saints. Every saint is chosen. Those who are lost are lost because they refuse to accept Christ as their Savior. They chose not to be among God's elect. But the whole idea of being chosen, don't miss it, it's for a purpose. God doesn't just choose you and let you go on your merry way. He says, I've chosen you for something specific. And he tells us that he chose us that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. That is his purpose. He's cleansed us from our sin, made us holy, imputing the righteousness of Jesus to our lives. 2 Corinthians 5.21. And so his plan is to make us holy, to make us blameless. And ladies, everything that we go through, every experience that we have, is used for this purpose. Romans 8.28, I know all things are worked together for the good, for those that are called according to his purpose. And what is his purpose? That we should be holy without blame before him in love. 
So God's going to use everything that you go through in your life, the good, the bad, the ugly, all of it, he will use to make you holy and blameless before him. What does he say in 1 Peter 1, 15 and 60? He who has called you is holy. You also be holy in all your conduct because it's written, be holy for I'm as holy. We're his children. We're to act like his children. We're to emulate him. Paul's going to tell the Ephesians to be imitators as dear children. You know what, ladies? We are dear children to God. In verse 5, he says he's predestined us to adoptions as sons. In our case, as daughters by Jesus Christ. Predestination refers to the purpose of God. Uh, He's purposed that we should be adopted into his family. His purpose was marked out ahead of time. Predestined means to mark out ahead of time that we should be his daughters. It's his desire to have this intimate, personal relationship with us. He wants to be our father. He has purposed that we should come under his protection, that we should come under his provision and his guidance. We were purposed to receive every advantage of being his children. You know, your children have certain advantages because they belong to you. We have certain advantages because we belong to God. The adoption process is when God brings us into his family. We, we come into his family through the new birth. That's the regeneration of the Holy Spirit when we accept Christ. But that adoption process is talking about the adult standing that, that uh, God allows us to have. Because with the adult standing, there are rights and privileges and responsibilities. So there are certain things children don't have in the family because they're not old enough to exercise those rights and responsibilities. But as an adult son or daughter, you have full rights in that family. So he has given us the position of sonship, privileges, unlimited access to God. Romans 8.15, you did not receive the the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. We had no right to call him Abba, Father, before we were born again. We come into his family, he adopts us in, and we have every right. He expects us to come as his daughters into his presence. He expects us to come with boldness, Hebrews 4.16 says, to ask for anything that we might need at any time. This is according to his will. It's his good pleasure to bring us to this place. He has made us accepted in the beloved. You see, there was nothing in you or I, and we're going to learn about this next week, that could make us accepted in the beloved. We were dead in sin. We were afar off, children of disobedience. Sin had rendered us helpless and hopeless. There's nothing in our character or conduct that could ever put us in an acceptable state with God. But when we come to faith in Christ... He makes us acceptable. We are accepted as Jesus is accepted. We are loved as Jesus is loved. How amazing is that? When I think about that, I'm just blown away because I know myself. 
And yet, this is, this is the kind of love that he bestows on me. Next, let's look at the blessings that we have centered in the Son. Um, in Ephesians 7 through 9, we read, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. So in him, in Christ, we have redemption. And redemption means liberation procured by the payment of a ransom. And it kind of brings a a thought to mind of the Roman Empire, the slave market, where slaves were bought and sold as if they were a piece of furniture. And you could go into the slave market and buy a slave, pay the price for him, and set them free. Let them go. They don't have to search. Just, you, you can be free. But the price had been paid. And so this is what Jesus did. He went into that slave market of sin. And he bought us. The price was his blood. The highest price ever paid for anything ever. And it was paid for you. First Peter 1, 18 and 19 says that we were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish, without spot. He who knew no sin became sin for us. His blood was shed. We've been redeemed by Christ from the curse of the law, Galatians 3.13, from the slavery of sin, Romans six seventeen through 18, from the power of Satan and the world, Galatians 1, 4, Colossians 1, 13 through 14. We have redemption. It's done. It belongs to us. As a result of our redemption from this act of Jesus, we have forgiveness of sins. And the word forgiveness means to send away, to leave or go away from oneself. And so our sins are sent away from us as if they were never committed. Psalms 103.12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed his sins from us. The east from the west, they never meet. North and south can't say that. East and west, gone. Your sins are gone. Our sins had brought us into bondage and brought us into a place of spiritual poverty. But God has taken us through the blood of Christ, and we have gone from rags to riches. The riches of his grace have been bestowed on us. God has made his grace, that unmerited favor, to abound toward us. That word abound is over and above, more than is necessary exceedingly abundant. That's what God's grace is in our lives, more than we can imagine. And it manifests itself in wisdom and understanding. The wisdom that Christ gives allows us to grasp spiritual truth. Prudence or understanding allows us to make a practical application of that truth. And so we saw our need of salvation, and it led us to repentance. And accepting Christ. So he's also enabled us to understand the mystery of his will. 
And mystery here is not something like, ooh. It is something hidden that's been revealed. And so God has made his known, uh, his will known. It has been revealed. It's God's will to save those who accept Christ. And we all understood this as we came to him. His plan of salvation was not just for the Jew. It was for the Jew and the Gentile. Now, God had spoken this in the Old Testament, but it wasn't really understood. But in the New Testament, the Spirit made it clear. Remember uh, Cornelius on the rooftop, or or Peter on the rooftop, when God let down that uh, sheet, and there were all those things that Jews couldn't eat. Go ahead, Peter, kill and eat. He was telling Peter, the Gentiles are included in this promise. God had it intended all along for the Jew and the Gentile to come together as one and to um, all come to repentance and salvation. So he wanted, in Ephesians 3, 3 through 6, we read about how uh, the Gentiles were to be fellow heirs of the same body, partakers of this promise in Christ through the gospel. And in verse 10, he talks about how one day God will bring all things together in Christ, Jew and Gentile, all things in heaven and on earth. Satan's rebellion will one day come to an end. The earth will be judged, and Jesus will be exalted over all. In 1 Corinthians 15, 28, we read, When all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. And God has given him that very highly exalted position. We know from Philippians 2, 9 through 11, that he is going to have a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those things in heaven and on earth, those under the earth, Every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God. This will be in the future. But he goes on to tell the believers in verse 11 that they have also, besides just being redeemed from sin, having all the guilt and shame of your life completely sent away, removed from you, be in right standing with God, having a clear conscience with him. Besides all those benefits, we have an inheritance We have not just blessings for now, but we have an inheritance in the future that will blow your mind. He says that they have obtained an inheritance. Now, my grandmother, she had this beautiful diamond ring. I wish I would have worn it, but it was beautiful. And she would promise it to all her daughters and all her granddaughters If they would just do this or just do that, every one of us got this promise. We were going to, when she died, she was going to leave us this ring. Well, you know, there was seven of us, and one ring didn't go so well for six people. And I don't know how, but I ended up with it. But God isn't like that. God has predetermined what we should have, and he has the power to give out all that he's promised. My grandmother would have liked to give that ring to every one of us, I'm sure. But she couldn't do it. God has the power, the will, and desire to give to every one of us the inheritance that he 
has prepared for us. You know, you always make a will ahead of time. You know what you're going to give somebody ahead of time. That's what God's done. Um, all that he's promised, we will receive. He has predetermined what would be ours. First Peter 3 through 4 says, tells us of that inheritance. It's incorruptible, undefiled. It doesn't fade away. Reserved. It's going to be there. You know, I can remember being the executrix to my mom's will and hearing stories of people that executed a will and they spent all the money. Because, you know, you have the checkbook and you have to pay the bills and you end up paying everybody their money out. Well, there was this one family where this guy said, oh, perfect, I'll go to Vegas. Inheritance gone. Brothers and sisters saw nothing. But our, our inheritance is in heaven, reserved. Um, the present in things that we enjoy uh, won't be compared to what awaits us in heaven. Romans eight seventeen through uh, 18 says that we are heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. If we suffer with him, we will also be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed. The glory that we will have in heaven, eternity with him, can't compare to the worst day that you've had on earth. We will experience the removal of sin. Good riddance, huh, ladies? No more sin, no tears, no sorrow. We will have a new body. That's taking on a whole new meaning for me now. The older I get, it's like, wow, I'm looking forward to the new model. It will have a whole new capacity. I think about Dorothy when she walks out of the black and white into the, the technicolor. Yeah, wow, whole new Whole new capacity. We'll see him face to face. We'll behold his glory. Do you know, ladies, if we were to behold God's glory in this body, it would probably melt. We couldn't even take in who God is. We couldn't see him. We couldn't take it. But he'll give us a body so that we can stop and behold him, whom we've loved all this time on earth. We're going to see him face to face. That is going to be my favorite thing about heaven. But there's going to be so much. You think you enjoy these little trinkets of gold here? You're going to be walking on it, ladies. God is going to have an amazing inheritance for us. Now, the blessings of God are ministered to us by his Holy Spirit. In verse 13 and 14, he says, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, to the praise of his glory. See, ladies, we heard the word of truth, the gospel, we responded to it, we believed on Christ, and then... We were sealed with the Holy Spirit of God because God marks his own. The Holy Spirit is a seal, a mark of ownership. God owns us. 1 Corinthians six nineteen through 20 Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? You were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your spirit and in your body, which are God's. Most of our problems arise because we forget this fact. 
And we go on living our life as if we belong to ourself. You belong to God. You're his. The sealing of something also denotes a finished transaction. When you finish with a document, you stamp it with a seal. It's done. Sealing something also uh, is a sign of authenticity. It um, attests to its being genuine. Um, as in when a king would stamp something with his seal, they'd put the wax down and he'd stamp it, and you could tell it's authentic. Um, and so we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. We belong to God. We are authentic. The work that the Spirit of God does in your life um, is attests to that. When he convicts you, he comforts you, he draws you to God, he reminds you of the scriptures. These are all ways that we can tell we are children of God. He is speaking to me, ministering me, drawing me. It's authentic, the work God's doing in my life. And when other people start to see the changes, because he changes you from glory to glory, other people begin to see that you belong to God. You have been sealed. In verse 14, um, we're told that the Spirit is given to us as a guarantee. It's a down payment. If you will, it's like an engagement ring. It's an assurance of all that God has promised. God has promised you certain things in the future. The Holy Spirit is that guarantee that all the things he's promised you, he will give you. And it, it does remind me of that marriage relationship before the couple's married. Uh, they get engaged, and a ring is given. It's a pledge. All that I've said to you, I will come, and we will get married, and we will be one. And this is what God's saying. Um, he, will, he will surely do all that he has promised for us. While we live on this earth, we live by faith. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee, and we anticipate all that he has promised us. I love it because this relationship we have with God is one of love. Jeremiah 31.3, he has loved us with an everlasting love and drawn us with loving kindness. Christ is the bridegroom. The church is the bride. Uh, an engagement ring is so fitting, right? Um, so he will give us all that he has promised. We are sealed till the day of redemption, till that day that we are finally released from sin, our bodies are changed, and we stand before God in heaven. God's purpose in giving us these blessings, note that it is to the praise of his glory. The Father has chosen us, adopted us, accepted us, in verse 6, for the praise of his glory. The Son has redeemed us, forgiven us, revealed God's will to us, given us an inheritance, in verse 12, for the praise of his glory. The Spirit has sealed us and become our guarantee of future blessings, in verse 14, for what? The praise of his glory. It is all for his praise. And you know, ladies, we are to live for the glory of God. Isaiah 43, 7, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, 
I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. Every one of us were created for the glory of God. You will not be happy in your life until you are living for the glory of God, till you are doing that very thing for which you were created. Because if you use any object in any other manner for which it was created, it will never reach its full potential. You and I cannot reach our full potential if we are not giving glory to God. So you have to ask yourself, do I live my life to honor and give glory to God? Or do I live for self? The things that I do, the things that I say, all my interactions, are they for the glory of God? Lastly, I want to look at Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. And because we're running out of time, I won't read it. I hope you've all read through it. And if not, read through it uh, tomorrow. But I want to look at four specific things he prays for. He prays that the Ephesians would know God, that they would know God's calling, that they would know God's riches, and that they would know God's power. What he didn't pray for was material things. It's completely absent from this prayer. And how many of our prayers are kind of consumed with the earthly, the material? Um, So it really helps us kind of get a little perspective for our prayers here. But he prayed they would know God. He wanted them, he wants us to know God. And you know, when you first come to Christ, a new Christian... You know him as Savior, and it's so wonderful to have that assurance, the forgiveness of your sins, acceptance with God. But he wants you to move forward. He wants you to know him as as your friend, as your father, as your counselor, as your refuge, as your strength, as your hope. And as you go through life and you encounter difficulties, he's going to reveal himself more and more to you. You're to grow in that knowledge of him. Our knowledge of God makes all the difference in the quality of our Christian life. You can stay at that superficial level, or you can go deep. God will go as deep as you are willing to go. Many people have the knowledge of God, but it doesn't impact their life. God wants the knowledge of him to impact who you are, what you do. He wants you to go deep. 2 Peter 1.3 says, As his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through what? The knowledge of him who calls us by glory and virtue. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Everything you need for your life are in him. Get to know him. We grow in grace um, and in the knowledge of God as we spend time in the word, prayer, fellowship, in obedience. John fourteen twenty one says, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it's he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will manifest myself to him. I love that verse. If I will walk in obedience to God, I will get to know him more. Secondly, he wants us to know God's calling. We have been called according to his purpose called into fellowship with Jesus. We have called to be holy, called out of darkness into his light. Uh, We are called to follow Jesus' example, even in suffering. We are called to eternal glory. We are called to be children of God. And what is the hope of this calling? 
Now, hope is something that connected to the future. When you look at all these things into which we're called, how do they change your future, the hope you have? One, that we would be transformed. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. And so he has called us to holiness, to be his children, and the Spirit, day by day, is changing us more and more to the image of Christ. We also hope in the soon return of Jesus. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 17, we read of the rapture where Jesus is going to come and take his church so that we would always be with him. We look forward to that. John 14, 1 through 3, Jesus said to his disciples, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So we look forward to going to be with him. We hope also in a glorious future. 1 John 3, 2-3, Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it's not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. What does the hope of this Christian calling that you've been called to inspire in you? Does this hope open your heart to the changes God wants to make? Does it inspire you to give God your will and your way, to follow him at all costs? Is this hope strong enough to make you seek those things above? We need the Lord to open our eyes to the hope of the calling that we have in him. Next, to know the riches of God. The riches are the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Yep, you got it. We are God's great wealth. Isn't that amazing? He places such value on our lives. We are precious to him. He has made a huge investment in our lives. A child of God should never feel worthless. That is a lie from the enemy. You are worth so much that he sent his son to die for you. So God's riches he sees in his saints. Our riches are in God. Pretty sure we got the better end of the deal. And he continues to invest in us every day. As you spend time with him, as you read the word, as you pray, God is pouring into you and investing in you. And when we yield ourselves to him, we bring him glory. And when he returns, he's going to be glorified in us. Second Thessalonians 1.10, when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all who believe, because our testimony among you was believed. Isn't that amazing? When he comes, he's going to be glorified in you. 
We think, that blows my mind. Lastly, he says that we would know God's power. And this power is a surpassing power, exceedingly great, which reveals the full strength of his might. Psalm 62.11 says, God has spoken once, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God. And Paul wants us to know this dynamic divine power that is available to those who believe. It is sufficient for every demand made upon the saint. You think about Peter before Pentecost, and he was going to follow Jesus. He followed him into those courts, but when the pressure of men came upon him, he crumbled. Now, he thought he could go to the cross with Jesus, right? In his own strength, in his own power, that's what he thought he could do. When he got into those outer courts and everybody started talking to him, he cowered. He couldn't do it. He denied Christ. He had no strength. He had no power. But after Pentecost, there he is standing in front of the crowds. And he had the boldness to identify himself with Jesus and to share the gospel without one care what anyone would say to him. Amazing power after the Lord had given him the Holy Spirit. And this power is available to us. And he talks about the type of power that it is. It is the resurrected power of Christ, the power that raised Jesus from the dead. Romans 8, 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, not fainting, dead, raised him from the dead, dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So this power of God, it's tested, it's proven. It raised Jesus from the dead. And you know, ladies, we need this power. Why? Because in our flesh, we are weak. And in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10, when Paul has a thorn in his flesh and he prays to God and God says to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches and needs and persecutions in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Christ is living in me, uh, giving me will. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You can do nothing apart from him. And in 2 Corinthians 4, 6-10, he talks about uh, Christ coming into our lives, and we have a treasure in this earthen vessel that the excellency of the power may be of God, not of us. We're hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, not destroyed, always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. So the life we live, we live by faith in the Son of God. And you're going to go through hardship. You're going to go through some of these times. But Jesus will impart his power in your life to get you through whatever circumstance you find yourself in. Do we believe that God's power is sufficient to conquer all our foes?
to break hold of all our sinful habits, to give deliverance from all our temptations, to live above our inabilities and our circumstances. You see, ladies, the power of God has already worked in our life when he raised us from death to life, when he brought us from darkness to the light, when we were saved. And this same power is going to see you through the rest of your life. He doesn't give it to you and take it away. It's yours. You are sealed with the Spirit. The Spirit of God brings to us the power of the resurrected Christ for whatever you need in your life. The power that worked in Christ and raised him from the dead also exalted him high above all and gave him a surpassing victory. Now he is exalted sitting at the right hand of God. And he has made us rich beyond measure. Do not live your Christian life like a miser. Avail yourself of all he's made available to you. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, we are so overwhelmed at the amount of resources you've made available to us, the blessings you've bestowed upon us, the riches of your grace, Lord, and how we can call upon you in whatever need that we're in, and your grace will be sufficient. Your power will uh, strengthen us to get through whatever we're going through, Lord. So I pray, Father, that we would be aware of your presence in our life, that we would call upon you, that, Lord, you would manifest yourself in us. Work in our lives, Lord, that which is well-pleasing to you. And may we live, Father, to give you honor, to give you glory. Thank you for every one of these blessings. Help us to think on them, to put them into practice in our life. We love you, we thank you, and we ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.